truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 212 of Dogcast Radio. This time we're full of science and technology. Later, we have an interview about an app which is aiming to make veterinary advice easier and cheaper to access. At the moment, there isn't anything between doing a Google search on your pet's problem and um, you know, going into a veterinary practice and potentially having to pay large fees. There's the Dogcast Radio News. When Carol and Vern King's Border Collie Casey managed to escape from a hotel room during a trip to Montana, they knew they just had to get her back. And, as ever, you can find this episode, along with all our others, our blog, cute canine photos, etc., at our website, dogcastradio.com. Now, settle in for a great interview with behavioural scientist Clive Wynne, who is a psychology professor who directs the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University, is an author and a dog owner. I'm talking today to Clive Wynne about his wonderful book, Dog is Love. Hi, Clive. Hi, Julie. Great to meet you. And you, and you. I'm really looking forward to, to talking about this because, I mean, this is the crux of the, the dog-human relationship, isn't it? We, it's what we want to know. So let's get straight to it. Do our dogs love us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think if there's one thing you can be certain about about your dog, it's that your dog loves you. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, people say my mother of all people, who's my great skeptic, hmm. she's, oh, the dog just loves you because you feed her. You know, <laughs> yes. And, and of course, and, and of course, fair enough, fair enough. You do feed your dog. At least I hope you do. But I say to people, you know, if you can accept that there's any individual in your life who loves you, if you're not so skeptical that you completely dismiss the idea that love is possible, if you can accept any individual in your life loves you, then your dog loves you, yes. you know, because every, everything that, that, you, that you read as signs of love in other people in your life, your dog has those signs. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think those of us that have lived with dogs, We'll probably say, I would say 99% of us would say, my dog loves me. And the lovely thing is, you know, we've, we've been of that opinion for a long, long time, but science is catching up with that, isn't it? It's not, it's not oh, a, right. a dirty concept to sort of say, yeah, your dog does right. love you. <laughs> right, 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 right. Absolutely, Julie. So uh, for the longest time, well, there are all sorts of things, but for a long time, we scientists were a little scared of things like love. It seems too kind of squishy to be mm. a scientist concept and so it's certainly true in my scientific writing i don't actually use the l word we come up with a whole bunch of more serious sounding terms like exaggerated gregariousness and mm. hypersociability but really we're just we're just talking about about love about what people would normally call love yes. and the other thing is that for when for a long time scientists were not very interested in dogs but there was a there has been a resurgence of scientific curiosity about dogs starting at the end of the 20th century in the late 1990s but when those scientists started looking at dogs they thought they could see evidence of an exceptional form of intelligence they thought that the secret of dog success around people lay in dogs having an exceptional ability to read people's minds and that that kept on for the first 10-15 years and and when I started studying dogs myself it seemed like an, a reasonable idea because certainly when you're around the house, your dog seems to know what you're doing. Mm. Um, 
But I gradually came to the view that, uh, not exactly that that was a mistake. I mean, our dogs are very sensitive to what we're doing. There's no question about that. But actually, I think any animal that lives alongside people as closely as our pet dogs do will develop that kind of sensitivity to what people are doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I gradually came to believe that where dogs really stand out is not intelligence, and I apologize to everybody who thinks they have a really smart dog, <laughs> but I don't think that it's their intelligence that makes dogs so exceptional and so successful in human societies. It's this, it's this exaggerated gregariousness and mm. hypersociality. It's this amazing <laughs> capacity to form strong, loving bonds. That's, that's the secret of their success. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I always think of my husband who, uh, you know, I'm, I was the force be- behind having a dog in our house and I desperately, desperately wanted a dog. And, you know, he, he sort of thought, well, okay, if you, you're so desperate for this dog. All right, well, we'll get this dog. And, and my daughter as well was very, very eager to get a dog. And, and Anthony wasn't really. And, and, you know, he, he obviously wouldn't harm the dog at all, but he wasn't, he didn't get a kick out of it like we did. And, and gradually, our, our Labrador buddy just won him over because, you know, as you say, it's this relentless, um, now let me, let me check the stairs, this relentless exaggerated gregariousness or hyper, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's kind of, just when Anthony came home from work and, and Buddy would be like, oh, I love you. I'm standing here in your home and yeah. isn't this great? And, and yeah. it's a very hard heart that resists that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, they're, 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 um, I don't want to say, relentless, that sounds, that sounds mean, that sounds nasty. And it's <laughs> no. definitely not that. It's, it's, it's totally endearing. Yes. But yeah, you know, they'll, they'll, um, if, I mean, they, they love people who, who clearly and easily reciprocate their affection. But some dogs sometimes, when they're confronted with somebody who doesn't seem as interested in them, like my own dog, like your dog, yeah. We'll set to work. We'll just set to work yes. on convincing this person. You yeah. know, you are special to me, and and you might not want to acknowledge this, but I'm. It's really important to me yes. that you come to an understanding of how <laughs> how much I care about you. Yeah, yeah. So, in in a way that humans don't. You know, we're sort of quite quick to sort of think, oh well, I love you, but you don't love me. But I'm so I'm going to stop showing how much I love you. You know, yeah, whereas a dog yeah. would just go, I'm going to show even more because I really yeah. love you. <laughs> Yes, yes, because it's crucial. It's yes. crucial. Well, you know, I mean, there's a sense in which there's a sense in which it's almost foolish, right? I mean, maybe it would be smarter to know when to give up. You know, I mean, maybe in some sense, uh, but that's not that's not how our dogs are built. Our dogs are built to just keep going and keep going and yeah. and and, uh, and and not give up on on compelling people to understand how important they are yeah absolutely it works absolutely. for them <laughs> it's, a, it, it's magic it's a miracle you know it's yeah it's an everyday little miracle it's great yep absolutely absolutely and i mean this isn't a new thing is it this has been going on for a long time we we, we discovered dogs and and the power of a dog if you like early on didn't we a long time ago so there are lots of controversies about just how old are dogs, and there are people who place dogs over thirty thousand years ago. I'm I'm skeptical about the idea that dogs could be that old. Um, I I incline more to the archaeologists who place dogs about fifteen thousand. The origins of dogs about fifteen thousand years ago, and I actually have a suspicion 
that the very first dogs didn't show these levels of, of intense affection for people. So my suspicion is that the earliest dogs were more like their wolfy ancestors, that they, you know, they could they formed strong bonds. I mean, don't get me wrong, wolves, mm. all animals form strong bonds, but a limited number of bonds, just the family and not not this exaggerated gregariousness, not this desire to have strong relationships with many different individuals from many different species. I suspect that that came to dogs somewhat later in their story mm. uh, because there's a, there's a period of the story. Dogs came into existence during the last ice age. And, um, uh, but then there's an important phase of the story when the ice age came to an end. And it's interesting that I've always thought the ice age sounded like a really bad thing, right? That's mm. how I, you know, I don't like the sound of it. I don't like cold weather. I don't like the sound of an ice age. Yeah. Um, but our ancestors actually got along really well in the cold climate. And they were very effective hunters in the open environment and the relatively thin forests that you get in very cold, you know, think Scandinavia, right? Think of a mm. Scandinavian pine forest or even Scotland. Um, our ancestors were very good at that because they have such good vision. But then when the world warmed up, the forests got much thicker. And uh, so now think of your southern English forest or, you know, tropical rainforest. Very, very difficult to see things because the undergrowth is so thick. Mm. And so that meant that our ancestors were in a bit of a bind because they couldn't, couldn't see the prey and they couldn't move through the forest very effectively. And that's where I think people first started hunting with dogs. And my guess, and it can only be a guess, but my guess is that it's at that stage that this capacity for loving people really became central to dog success because the dogs and the people had to work together and having a strong bond makes that much more effective, I think. Mm. And that it's an, such an enduring bond that we both obviously, you know, both species obviously get something from it. And it's, it's I, I just get such a kick out of that. We, we, you do get that history of that, that relationship that, and you feel that kinship with our, with our, ancestors so that they okay they hunted with their dogs but that when you're out on a walk with your dog and you or you're training with your dog and you're a team together it's you know i feel akin to that that sort of hunting teamwork that they have oh absolutely absolutely no i mean so my guess is that the that the real what we call the bond you know the emotional connection really started to come about eight or so thousand years ago at the end of the ice age when our ancestors had a massive problem and these animals that have been quietly evolving probably on our rubbish dumps uh, came to the came to the rescue and helped to solve that problem mm-hmm. in a way where a tight connection, a tight emotional connection between the person and the dog was crucial to that. And from then, as you go forwards through history, uh, you see this like in ancient Rome and in medieval times and coming into modern times, dogs start doing all these different jobs. You know, if I'm right that they started with one job, then dogs today have thousands of jobs. Mm. And in so, so many of those contexts, part of the crux of the success of dogs in the different things they do for us is that they and we form a strong emotional connection. And you see this, you know, even the most hardened police officer or soldier who's working with a sniffer dog, you know, you see on Facebook and elsewhere, you see how tough guys post about their dogs and their love for their dogs. I mean, it's, it's a strong emotional bond, even, or maybe especially 
in the most difficult circumstances yes. and doing all sorts of different kinds of jobs. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So we, as I say, we we dog owners, we know that that bond. We know we love our dogs, and we we pretty much know they love us. But what saying that science has sort of caught up with us? What evidence is there that for for scientists like you that dogs do care about people? So the evidence exists at so many different levels, and we can start just by thinking about everyday experiences that can easily be measured, right? So when you come home and you open the front door and, you know, I, I live with my wife and my teenage son and my dog and the cat. Mm. And I, I can shout from the front door, hi, I'm home. <laughs> and, you know, my wife, from wherever she is, she'll say, hi, how's your day? And my son, you know, if I'm lucky, there'll be some kind of a grunt from his corner <laughs> of the house. And the cat may well move in diametrically the opposite direction. <laughs> but the dog, you know, you hear the dog's claws on the wood floor as she's racing. She's skidding as she tries to yeah. race across the smooth floors to get to where I am. And um, if I don't immediately put down what I've got in my hand so that I can so that I can, you know, tussle her hair and rub her ears and all the rest of it, then she'll start to cry. She'll start to cry at me as if she's in pain mm. that I'm not interacting with her. So, and we've, we've made that into a little experiment where we actually gave dogs a choice between a bowl of dog food and the opportunity to interact with their owner at the point the owner first comes in the door. Mm. And most dogs, most of the time, they'll, they, they can see the food there, but they'll ignore it. They'll ignore it, even though we left them hungry for the whole day while they, while they were separated from their owner. So, so there's a very simple demonstration. Another super simple demonstration that we've done and we've been able to compare dogs and hand-reared wolves is we just have somebody sit in a chair and we mark a circle of one meter radius around that chair and the, the animal and the person know each other. So a dog and its owner, the wolves, we used people who raised the wolves when they were puppies and who the wolves interact with every day. Uh, so the dog and the, the animal and the person know each other, but we've separated them. Not for It doesn't have to be for very long. Ten minutes is plenty enough time. And then we just let the dog or the wolf or whatever animal into the same room as the person who's sitting on the chair with the one-meter circle marked around it. And we measure how long does the animal spend inside the circle. They have two minutes altogether. Hmm. And anybody can try this at home. And what you'll find is your dog will probably spend every last second of those two minutes inside the circle. <laughs> Dogs, if they've been separated, even for a brief period of time, spend the whole time inside the circle with their person. Hmm. Wolves, hand-reared by people, seeing these people every day, they care about these people. They have an interest in these people, but they still don't spend anything like as much time inside the circle. Mm. So we can see dogs' affection for people in very, very simple behavioral experiments that anybody could do with their own dog uh, and see just how concerned and engaged their dog is with them. But in the book I talk about Dog is Love, I talk about how other scientists have taken this in other directions. And so there's a wonderful research group in Japan who have the capacity to measure levels of what people call the love hormone, mm. oxytocin, 
and they can measure the levels of this hormone both in people and in people's dogs. And what they find is that when a person and their dog are sitting calmly together and look into each other's eyes, then levels of this love hormone oxytocin go up in both the person and in their dog, mm-hmm. just in the same way you find when, when people who are in love with each other look into each other's eyes and when mothers look into their baby's eyes, so too you see the same hormonal response when people and their dogs get together. Wow. So uh, we see it in the behavior, we see it in hormones. It's even been found in brain scans. There's a, a professor at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, Gregory Burns, who trained dogs to lie still in brain scanners yeah. so they can measure the activity going on inside their brains. And when you show them a signal that indicates that their beloved person is nearby, you find that the reward centers in their brains light up with activity because wow. they perceive this as a rewarding experience. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's there at multiple levels. I, 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 I should mention the, the thing I find most exciting. So anything that makes an animal a species unique has to be somehow somewhere recorded in their genetic material, in their DNA. That's mm. what defines what makes a dog a dog is doggy DNA. And I've been involved with some studies that have identified certain genes that have mutated in the story, for, in the journey from wolves to dogs, certain genes have mutated. And these genes, when mutated in the same way in people, which happens, it's extremely rare, but it does very occasionally happen. And if that happens, then you have what's called Williams syndrome. Mm. And people with Williams syndrome show a very similar pattern of what the scientists call exaggerated gregariousness to what we see in our dogs. And, it, and it's due to the exact same genes. So we've been able to track dogs' love for people all the way down into their genetic code, which I'm really amazed. To me, that's one of the most exciting things that I've personally been involved in and that I talk about in the book. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, you wonder whether that sort of... Was that, um, you know, a random mutation or was that something we bred in? Because, I mean, we bred... Amazingly, well, dogs dogs have developed a um, a muscle in their eyebrows, haven't they? That wolves don't have. So we've changed them in lots of different ways. So you wonder, was that a natural happening? The the DNA level, um, or the, or did, did we happen to breed it because we chose for affectionate dogs? Well, so Julie, we all mutations are accidents or random. We can't, I mean, today, uh, with the very, very latest genetic technology within the last 20 years, Mm. we have been able to target and create mutations. But until exceedingly recently, humans have not been able to create mutations. All we can ever do, or all we have ever been able to do, is to notice that an animal has changed and say, hey, this is kind of cool. This one's got orange fur. This Mm. one's got a longer, bushier tail. That would be a random mutation. And we can then say, I like this. Mm. Let's get, you know, if we can find two of these, let's make them together and we'll capture that. So all the way through history until exceedingly recently, all people could ever do, the only way that people could intervene in nature would be to capture mutations that they like the look of. And certainly that has been going on a lot for the last two centuries But actually, when we're talking about the origins of dogs thousands of years ago, I actually think it's pretty unlikely 
that our ancestors noticed enough of what was going on or even had enough of a concept that you could capture mutations by mating together animals that you'd like the look of. Hmm. That, it seems, is much more recent knowledge than people imagine. Mm. And our ancestors thousands of years ago, they had very weak control over the dog-like animals that were around them. I mean, they didn't have collars until about 4,000 years ago. They didn't have leashes. You know, the ancient Egyptians were the first people we know had collars and leashes. Um, if you go back 8, 10, 12, whatever, 1,000 years ago, they didn't have fencing. Um, so I think that in the origin story of the dog, most of what happened was was nature. Nature made the dog, but nature made the dog because we humans were changing the world. Mm -hmm. So we nowadays, of course, so much of the world is entirely controlled or greatly influenced by, by things that we do, which has impacts on all the animals that live on the planet. Uh, going back 8, 10, 12, 14, even 20,000 years ago, obviously our impact on the world was much less but we were still having impacts. And one of the first impacts we did is that sometimes, even before there was agriculture, when our ancestors were hunters, sometimes they would find a location where their hunting was so rich, and this was also particularly true of fishing, uh, the hunting and fishing was so rich that our ancestors would stay in one place. So they would stay in one place for years or even generations. And when people stay in one place, they, we, we humans, we have a characteristic sign on the landscape. And that sign, I'm sorry to say, is rubbish. We make piles of rubbish. If we're stuck in one place for years, then even thousands of years ago, bones would pile up and shells would pile up and so on. Hmm. And we think of that you know, rubbish it means it's useless, right? It means it's useless. But it may be useless to us but it's still useful to other species. And so all around the world, outside of the first world bubble that we all live in, in the rest of the world, in South America, in Africa, in poorer parts of Southern and Eastern Europe and so on, poor parts of Asia, rubbish dumps are full of animals. They're full of animals. They're, you know, in India, you get, you get cattle and, and goodness knows what, ibexes and all sorts of animals come and forage on the rubbish dumps that people create. Because although we think of these places as empty and useless, they actually still have a lot that other species can thrive on. And in some parts of the world, uh, wolves come and scavenge on, on rubbish dumps. In Scandinavia, in Alaska, you get wolves coming in and scavenging on, on rubbish dumps. And that, I think, is the actual original part of the dog story that there were wolves who took an interest in human rubbish dumps and they became rubbish specialists. And as they became rubbish specialists, any mutations that helped them get more rubbish were selected for and became more common in the population. And those genes that gave wolves the ability to be really successful hunters of live prey, those genes became less important. So, um, so that, I think, is the original origin story of the dog. And I think that we humans, it only happened because of us, but we didn't intentionally do it. That would be how I would do it. Yeah, yeah. So when, when our dogs now knock the bin over and scavenge everything out of the bin and empty it, don't be cross because without that instinct, we wouldn't have our dogs. Well, you can still be annoyed. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. When your dog does that, I think your dog is communing, is communing, is connecting with the original wolf that became the mother of the first dogs. I think yeah. I think um, that particular bad habit, if it, if it cheers you up, uh, <laughs> if it cheers you up to think of something positive about such an annoying thing to come home to, then think about how knocking over the trash, knocking over the bin was the original the first step, the first step on the road to dogdom. That's what yes. we say. <laughs> then when your dog, if you let your dog off lead, as people do so much more in Britain than they do over here, and your dog runs off like a crazy thing because he scented a rabbit somewhere, then that's part two. That's part two of the journey <laughs> to dogdom. That, that, that's at this latest, somewhat later stage, I think, um, when our ancestors were trying to hunt in warmer, thicker forests, that they found this animal that uh, still had the instincts to hunt and still had an excellent nose so it could scent things that people couldn't see. Um, that, that that then was the second part of the journey, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, by aligning themselves with us, um, loving, loving us now, um, dogs have been exposed to so many other species. I mean, that's a very human-centric way of putting it. But, you know, certainly now in, in our homes, they have to live, you know, my dogs live alongside cats and they've had ducks and and all kinds of little mammals to, to deal with. Right. But but dogs can form this these strong bonds with other species, can't they? Absolutely, absolutely. So I like to say when we talk about dogs' love for, for us, we should be modest and we should recognise that it's not about us, it's actually it's about them. Mm. So... The program that's in the genes of dogs makes it easy for them to form strong emotional bonds with members of other species. Since we are human, we mainly notice that they're falling strong, forming strong emotional bonds with us, with humans. But a dog placed with other species when it's young, because it's the early portion of life that determines what kinds of things a dog is willing to fall in love with, a dog that's put with members of other species when it's a puppy will readily form strong emotional connections with that other species. And the most common way we see this is in livestock guarding dogs. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure whether livestock guarding dogs are used in the UK. Do you know, Julie, whether you have them over there? Not to the same extent. They're, they are sort of in, in Europe and, sort of in, and possibly in, in America. We, um, right. we, when we have sheep dogs, but it's more for rounding up. They don't live outside with the, with the right. livestock there. Yeah. Well, so in southern Europe, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece, Turkey, uh, dogs are used simply to guard livestock, and they're not herding dogs like the sheepdogs of England. They just live out with the animals that they're expected to protect, and because they were put with them when they were puppies, they form strong emotional bonds, which means that they're very inclined to protect uh, the animals that they're put with. Most commonly, I've heard about this with sheep and goats, and I've certainly seen it in here in Arizona. We have some goat herders, and I visited a goat ranch in the northeast of Arizona, and lovely people, and they have dogs that they put them with goats when they were puppies. And so now these dogs as adults, they love their goats. They mm. love their goats. They hang out with the goats in the fields and wherever the goats go, the dogs go with them. The dogs don't have to get into big fights with any wildlife. Generally speaking, a predator 
in Arizona, we're usually talking about coyotes. The predator uh, is takes an interest in the goats. The dog notices the coyote, growls, barks a couple of times, and that's usually enough. The coyote reckons, well, you know, <laughs> I could try getting into a fight with this guy, but it's probably easier to move on and see what I can find somewhere else. So they're not, they don't have to be terrific fighters. That's not what it's about. Mm. They just have to be concerned and, um, and willing to make a bit of noise. And as I say, I visited with them in Arizona, goat, goat guarding dogs. And I've read about and also chatted on the phone with some people in Australia, which I put into the book Dog is Love. The most colorful example I could find off the uh, southeast coast of um, Australia, the state of Victoria in Australia, there are penguins that live on an island that is unfortunately a little too close to the mainland. And at certain times of year, at low tide, foxes were getting across to this island and eating all the poor little penguins. Mm. So a local farmer, a chicken farmer, he had free-range chickens that were ranging outside, and he had a livestock guarding dog protecting his chickens. And so he proposed the idea of putting a livestock guarding dog out on this island to protect the penguins. And it works a dream. It works a dream. And they now routinely have dogs living in kennels out on the, out on the island there protecting the uh, penguins. And they've had no further trouble from foxes since they started doing this. So it's oh, a beautiful story. It is. Yeah, it is lovely. I, I love dogs. I really, really do. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful yeah. what they Oh, that's lovely. That's a Disney film just waiting to be made. Isn't oh, no, it? it's been done. Oh, it's been it? done, Disney. There is a film. Yeah. Uh, and I've forgotten the film is named for the first dog. And I did try and watch it, but I think I'm at least 50 years too old to really <laughs> get much out of it. Um, <laughs> if you have maybe a seven or eight-year-old in your home, then this film would be ideal for them. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, yeah. look. I, I don't have one in my home, but I do have one in my heart. So give it a watch. I'm afraid I forget the name. Yeah, um, I'll try and find out. Having said, you know, I love dogs, and and obviously people we get dogs because we love them in the main. How can we make sure? Because you know they have this this love they lavish on us. They're they're emotional beings. How can we make sure that? We're, we're at least trying to make them as happy as they make us. Oh, absolutely, Julie. That's, that's the, what, as we say over here, you know, that's the million dollar question. I mm. mean, they have committed themselves to us, mm. right? They have, they formed a covenant, a contract with us that they will give up. You compare dogs to wolves. They've given up the intense family structure that wolves have in a wolf pack. They've given up the ability to hunt and kill and eat big live prey and they place themselves entirely in our hands right yeah, they've, yeah. they're trusting us to take care of them and you know i'm not a vet obviously there are health and medical things that people that we owe our dogs but what comes to me from the research that i did for the book dog is love what comes to me is that dogs have become these highly highly social beings these beings who live to love and be loved and yet in our lives, we shut them up alone for hours on end. Mm. And I think, that's, I think that's the most cruel thing 
that is routine. It's not the cruelest thing people do to dogs. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I know there are worse things you can do to a dog. But I think it's the cruelest thing that is still routinely accepted. And we should not be routinely accepting the idea of leaving a dog alone while we go out for 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. If your life requires you to be away from home and you cannot take your dog with for such an extended period of time and you have no access to alternative ways of providing your dog with company, you know, I mean, I sometimes take my dog to a doggy daycare. I have sometimes thought about hiring a dog walker who could check in, but it doesn't prove necessary because I work from home a lot. If, if, if you cannot provide your dog with company, then I don't think you should have a dog. I'm not somebody who says everybody's got to have a dog. I mean, mm. my dog brings so much happiness to my life, my family's yeah. life. Yeah. But I'm lucky. I'm lucky. It's a privilege that yes. I can provide an environment where I think, I hope, I believe, my dog has a fairly good life. She's seldom alone for more than a couple of hours at a time. I think leaving them alone is so harsh on a highly social animal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is about, um, I absolutely agree, it's about waiting till the time is right in your life for you to be able to give the dog, you know, as much as they give you. You know, I waited and, and sort of waited till I was settled and we had a house and then I had my daughter and then waited till she was old enough to sort of know how to, you know, understand how to treat a dog um, properly with the respect due to them. And we waited until the time was right for us. Um, and I think it is about that. It's not about, I want a dog for what it will do for me. I want a dog because it's going to enhance both our lives. Yeah, Julie, I think you're absolutely on the money. I'm my life very, very similar. I would have so loved to have had a dog through phases of my life mm. where I, I, I knew I just couldn't make it work, could not have fitted a dog into that life. And now it's a sign of how fortunate I am in life that I can that I can enjoy Zephos's company. I'm turning around. She's looking at me. Every time I say her name, she looks up. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're going to do something now. And, of course, I know I know she wants more. I know she wants liver, and I know she wants W-A-L-K, but <laughs> at least she has company, and yeah. that's very, very important to her, yeah. very important. Oh, we should, t- we should to respect that. <laughs> You've mentioned her there. She's been very quiet and very good. So, so tell me about Zephos. Tell me about your dog. Well, so uh, Zephos is a small black mutt, as we say over here. She's a thoroughly mixed breed dog. She mm-hmm. was she was born in a shelter in a rescue, uh, and um, the first family that took her for reasons that I'm never going to be able to understand. After a year, they gave her up. And we found her in a shelter, didn't we, sweetie? Are you going to come over and say hi? We found her in a shelter, and the first couple of weeks she was a bit confused and worried. But now she's our dog. You're our dog, aren't you? <laughs> aren't you? So um, we did actually do her DNA because people will forever ask what breed your dog is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I actually, uh, I'm skeptical of the value of trying to find out what breeds go into a mixed breed dog. But anyway, we did it. And the test we commissioned tells you your dog's eight great-grandparents if they were purebred dogs. Mm. Well, five of her great-grandparents were not purebred dogs. And the remaining three each came with a star, an asterisk, indicating that these were very weak genetic signals. But the remaining three, we are encouraged to believe, were Dachshund, Vizsla, 
and Chow Chow. <laughs> wow, so, that's quite varied. <laughs> well, right, and and um, and you would never guess by looking at her. And really, I think I'm inclined to say that Dachshund and Vizsla, Vizsla is a Hungarian dog. I think probably that's just a hint of some Central European DNA. And the Chow Chow, which is Chinese dog, so I choose to believe, because I'm entitled to, I choose to believe that the Chow Chow signal is really a signal of Native American dog DNA. Because Native American dogs, there were dogs here before Europeans came, Native American dogs, like Native American people, came to the Americas from Asia. And so I choose to believe that this weak chow-chow signal really means that she's a little bit Native American, because I think it's rather, I rather like the thoughts that I might have a slightly <laughs> Native American dog. But um, she's like, she's like mongrels the world over, you know, she's, She's just, if, if you ask a child to draw a picture of a dog, they'll draw a picture of Zephos. She's <laughs> just that kind of shape, classic doggy shape. And, um, and uh, yeah, startlingly, startlingly affectionate. She's now, she's now positioned herself so that she's leaning against my leg. I'm <laughs> talking about her. Oh, well, look, she has been very good and very patient, so I won't keep you, you know, too much longer. Um, where, where can people find out more about you and the book online? So uh, my webpage is all about me and all about the book. So if people can just remember how to spell my name, then, uh, then I'm really easy to find because I'm just clivewin.com. So C-L-I-V-E. These people in Britain will know how to spell that. <laughs> and my last name is W Y as in Yankee N N E. So clivewin.com. And the book is called Dog is Love, The Science of Why and How Our Dogs Love Us. Mm. And I'm told it should be really easy to find. Excellent, excellent. Well, we will find that link and those links and we'll put them on to make it even easier for people. Um Clive, thank you ever so much. That's been really, really fascinating and give Zephos a, a fuss from me. I will, Julia. Total pleasure. Thank you so much. So much to think about from that interview in the ways we interact with our dogs on a daily basis. Dogs are amazing, aren't they? I just keep coming back to how lucky we are to have them in our lives. I was lucky to get that interview with Clive because his book, Dog is Love, only came out on the 24th of September. So you can get it while it's hot off the press and the next time someone questions whether your dog loves you, you can rebuff with the power of science. We have the link to clivewin.com on the Dogcast Radio site at dogcastradio.com. Don't be taken in by hype. There are no hypoallergenic dogs. They all have at least some hair, and that's what attracts dander and allergens. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. Rio, a pointer cross, was rescued in Spain and brought to the UK to a new home in Cambridge. Oh, a lovely story to start with. Our next story... Hang on, we haven't finished with Rio's story yet. Oh, Rio goes on to excel at training? No. Oh, uh, well, Rio curls up on the sofa and lives happily ever after. No. Rio becomes the inspiration for a trilogy of films... He ran away. He ran away. Oh dear. Indeed. 
What's more, Rio stayed missing for 15 months. He slipped out of his harness while on a walk in January 2018, and despite being spotted several times on a landfill site in Cambridge, he was only recaptured in May this year. Yay! He can go home! Sadly not, because in the meantime his owner's got another pet. So now Rio, who lived as a stray in both Spain and England, and was only 10 months old when he went missing in Cambridge, is in the care of Dr K Wicks, a co-founder of animal charity Canine Capture UK, and he's learning to be a pet again. The charity led the search for Rio, and care for a number of dogs who lived alone for significant periods of time, one for four years. Understandably, Rio and his new friends need rehabilitation before they can lead a happy life as a pet. But Kay hopes that in the very near future, she'll be looking for a home for Rio. On to America, where Hurricane, a now-retired Belgian Malinois Secret Service dog, has become the first foreign animal to win a prestigious Order of Merit from the UK charity People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. The Order of Merit is the animal equivalent of the OBE, one of the highest honours given to individuals by the British Royal Family. Hurricane was awarded the Order of Merit for his outstanding devotion to duty while protecting former President Obama and the First Family. Hurricane and his handler brought down an intruder who scaled the fence and raced across the White House lawn and he did so despite being kicked, punched and swung through the air during the ensuing struggle with the intruder. In a statement, the PDSA said, Hurricane flew into action. Despite this violent, repeated assault, his jaws were locked into the suspect's arm, and he never gave up. He continued to drive forward and finally grounded the intruder, enabling armed officers to take him into custody. Hurricane retired on health grounds in September 2016, and his handler adopted him. Hurricane and his handler will travel to London in the UK in October to accept the much-deserved reward. Staying in the echelons of power now, but moving to the UK, the Kennel Club cancelled the 2019 competition of the Westminster Dog of the Year. The Kennel Club said this is due to concerns about the increase in protests around Parliament. Ensuring the safety of the dogs and the MPs taking part is an absolute priority. The contest, which according to the KC, celebrates the unique bond between man and dog and aims to promote responsible dog ownership, is open to all parliamentarians' dogs regardless of breed, creed or poor political persuasion. Instead of the usual dog show method, the winners will be determined by public vote, which you can find on the Kennel Club website, to which there is a link on the Dogcast Radio site. Did you know that owning a dog might mean you enjoy better heart health? A Czechoslovakian study randomly selected 1,769 people and scored them on the American Heart Association's seven measures of heart health. Blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, physical activity, diet, body mass index and smoking. The 18% of those studied who owned a pet other than a dog scored better than those who had none, but the 24% who owned a dog scored best of all, being more likely to report sufficient physical activity, a better diet and good glucose levels than the rest of the group. They were also, on average, less educated and more likely to smoke. Intriguing findings. I wonder if they'd be reproduced in other locations. Here's a story we'd love your opinion on. Chris Mendiola from Texas, USA, spotted a tattoo on his rescue dog Bear's pelvic region and assumed his previous abusive owners did it to him. In an effort to show solidarity with his beloved pup, Chris got the same tattoo on his bicep. Cute, right? Except it turns out that apparently the tattoo is one given to rescue dogs to indicate that they have been neutered. Chris now claims that he knew what the tattoo meant and had it done anyway. But many on the internet claim Chris was unaware of the tattoo's meaning when he had it done. So, what do you think? Is the joke on Chris, or is it a beautiful gesture? 
Our next story definitely features a beautiful gesture, because when Carol and Vern King's border collie Casey managed to escape from a hotel room during a trip to Montana, they knew they just had to get her back. They put flyers up around the small town near where Katie went missing, and also appealed on social media. Carol, who lives in Washington State, gave up her job to concentrate on the hunt for her hand, with the help of local people. It paid off when Carol spotted Katie lying in the shade of a tree. Despite having lost 12 pounds in weight, Katie seemed none the worse for her adventure, and Carol not only has her dog back, but also has faith in the kindness of strangers. Oh, that's a lovely story to end on. A happy ever after for the dog, and the people are shown in a good light. See you next time. When you go out, leaving your dog a piece of clothing which smells like you may comfort them and help alleviate separation anxiety. What do you do when your dog's a bit under the weather? And how can you be sure whether they are just a bit under the weather or if they need to see a vet. Well, there's a new way for you to get reliable help without spending a fortune. And Sarah Warren is here to tell us more about an app she helped create called Joy, J-O-I-I. But Sarah has many impressive roles in the veterinary world. Now, Sarah, you're a busy lady, so get, let's let's talk about your all your roles, or some of your roles, first of all. You are the president of the British Veterinary Dermatology Study Group. Yeah. And... RCVS Advanced Practitioner in Veterinary Dermatology. Sarah, what does that mean? What do you actually do? Because it's a bit um, posh for me. What does that mean? Yeah, I completely understand. It is a bit complicated. <laughs> so I'm a veterinary surgeon. Um, I qualified about 21 years ago. I had a really strong interest in skin disease, which is dermatology, from the time I graduated. And I decided to take that further and, and become an advanced practitioner. So that required around about three years of of extra study really, um, taking some exams and, and that's the status that I've got now. So what that enables me to do is, is concentrate more of my time as a vet um, helping dogs and cats specifically um, with skin problems, which is what my passion is, um, particularly dogs and cats with allergic skin disease. Yes. Because that's primarily as dermatologists what we spend a lot of our time um, dealing with. It's a very common problem. Yeah, yeah. So that's my role as a, as a vet. Um, I've... I'm, fairly active um, member of the dermatology community both in 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 the UK um, and in Europe. Um, I spend quite a lot of time um, giving talks uh, for drug companies and, and also to educate other vets about um, about my passion. I've just got back from China actually having mm. having spent some time over there teaching some Chinese vets about uh, about how we deal with skin diseases over in the UK. So I'm very fortunate. I've, I've, um, you know, I, I, I'm blessed to to have a job that I love, um, and is very rewarding at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 so I've I've been on the committee for the British Veterinary Dermatology Study Group for about ten years. Hmm. Uh, first as proceedings editor, so essentially we have meetings twice a year, and I you know, edit the document that goes along with those meetings. But um, I was voted in as president uh, about eighteen months ago, so. That just means that I, I sort of oversee and, and help and, and um, I'm in charge of the committee, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you actually, you, you work as a, as a vet. You actually see animals, but also you have all these other roles. My goodness, that's a, that's a huge job, isn't it? Yeah, it does keep me pretty busy, actually. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, trying to find a time, yeah, in the diary is, uh, is sometimes a challenge. But, um, yes, I still see 
dogs and cats with skin diseases. Yeah. Um, but I, I am actually spending quite a lot of my time now on, on Joy, which is, uh, which is this app that we've created to, to, to basically allow pet owners to access veterinary care, both from veterinary surgeons and veterinary nurses, from, from their smartphones, you know, from the comfort of their own home. Um, and what we're aiming to do is uh, um, uh, allow pet owners to more readily um, access veterinary uh, care um, in a way that uh, allows them to, to do so um, in a more reliable way than, say, Google. Because at yes. the moment, there isn't anything between doing a Google search on your pet's problem and, um, you know, going into a veterinary practice and potentially having to pay um, large fees. So yeah. we know that we, you know, we're just wanting to make pet care more more affordable and more accessible to people that may may not be able to to access veterinary care for one reason or another, be it, be it financial or or indeed um, practically. You know, there are some disabled people and people that that, that can't uh, physically vi- visit a veterinary practice. So yeah. yeah, it allows them to to access veterinary care too. Yeah, I think it's brilliant because, you know, there's a, I mean, there's many, many concerns, but a couple that spring straight to my mind is, for example, when my dog, um, had, he was diagnosed with, um, a mast cell tumor and, yeah. and I was, I tried to be really disciplined and not keep Googling and Googling because as you know, it's, it's a very personal thing and what, what had happened to other dogs might not be that relevant for him. So mm. I tried to be, but you can either scare yourself to death or you can give yourself false hope. So I tried to sort of steer clear of that. And the other thing is, you know, how many times do we see on, on social media? Oh, my dog's just whatever it is. It could be anything from stubbed a toe to cut a main artery. And they're on mm. social media saying, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should go to the vet? Oh my goodness, yes, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's really worrying, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, we know, for example, Mumsnet, um, the, there are uh, tens of thousands of queries that go on Mumsnet just about cats and dogs problems. People wow. are, people are really needing and, and wanting, um, advice, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, on social media and on different sorts of platforms and forums. And, and at the moment, there isn't really anything that, um, that allows them to obtain information reliably. So um, we've, yeah, we, we feel that um, we just want to respond to to, to the demands of, of pet owners, and we think that there is a real need for um, a platform to allow pet owners to access care um, from from their phones. Um, so we 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 um, essentially have um, written. We've got lots of vets working with us, and we've joined forces with some pharmaceutical companies who have expertise in particular areas, and we've. We've written triage systems, essentially, like a symptom checker, so that a pet owner will be able to download the app, which is free, from the App Store or, or, or Google Play, and uh, put in their pet symptom, and they'll be taken through a series of very easy-to-answer questions. Um, it's a very intuitive app, very mm. easy to use. It allows them to um, get some advice about what they should do next, whether that be, actually, yes, you do need to go and see a vet in a, in a traditional practice, because this is a... A serious problem that that we can't deal with remotely, or it might be that we offer them a video consultation with one of our vets or nurses, so that they can actually, literally, we've got vets working round the clock who will be able to to advise them via a video link. Um, yeah. They'll be able to upload photographs, for example, of their pet skin problem or um, some videos of a, of lameness or something like that, and we'll be able to 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 advise. Or it might be just to reassure them. Um, that actually this there's nothing to worry about and we'll check in with them in another 24 hours. Um, or it may be to recommend a product like a shampoo or an ear cleaner or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's, that's essentially what, what Joy will be 
providing. And we've got lots of bespoke videos and animations and, 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 and lots of information and advice for pet owners, uh, which is available through the app as well. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing it strikes me that that is really, really useful for is um, you are seeing the animal in their home environment. So, for example, when my dog had issues, you know, mobility issues, it was difficult to get him to the vets and then yeah. often they'd say, well, could you take a video of him when he has this problem? Which is, you know, again, I appreciate and that's a very useful way of, of showing your vet what's going on. But it's, it can be a lot less stressful for the animal, can't it? This, this video consultation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, when animals often, their symptoms are masked when they're taken into a veterinary practice because they're stressed and they release adrenaline and cortisol and, mm. and, and their heart rate is falsely elevated anyway. And so it can be difficult to, um, you know, to, to assess, uh, real symptoms, um, in a traditional practice. And that, that, of course, the advantage of having a consultation at home, um, take, takes those, those issues away. And, um, particularly cats as well. Mm. Yeah, very stressed being put into a basket and sitting in a waiting room full of barking dogs and, and yeah. what have you. So there are there are huge advantages of, of a pet owner being able to um, access veterinary care from the comfort of their own home where the yeah. animal is in its own environment. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And oh my goodness, the stress for an owner trying to get the cat into the, uh, <laughs> into the cat into carrier. Into the basket. So it's, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you need treatment then been, often enough. <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there with our own cats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the other thing that sort of I, it hadn't even occurred to me until I sort of read a little bit about Joy um, is, you know, when we go to our doctor, they access our notes. And I just assumed that, you know, when you visit the, the vet, they're, they're, they do make notes. And so I'd assumed it was a fairly similar um, situation that there were these sort of organised notes in existence and, and that wasn't yeah. a problem. But it's not quite the case, is it? Um, well, um, certainly any practice that I've ever worked for, most practices will have a practice, what we call a practice management system. So mm. these are all computer software designed systems nowadays where vets are responsible for making clinical notes about, about their pets. I mean, years ago it used to be handwritten notes that were filed in a, you know, in a filing system. But, yes. but we all use computer systems these days. And, mm-hmm. um, at Joy we've created our own bespoke practice management system that allows, um, you know, information to be obtained. Uh, anything that the owner has uploaded themselves through the app is stored on the on the same practice management system. Any photographs or videos they've uploaded is all stored, and, and any advice the vet or the veterinary nurse has given will be stored on there. And any treatment recommendations and any lab tests that are recommended, we we were able to um, send out products direct to to owners' homes for them, um, and also laboratory tests that owners are able to take themselves like an ear swab or a urine sample that sort of thing so we are we are able to do that as well yeah excellent excellent and let's let's talk about price because that's like cut cut to the chase you know that is an important consideration and i must admit i have sat in the vets um and a lady came in and it what what sort of irked me a bit was she came in with um i can't remember it was a luxury brand of car with a personalized number plate and then proceeded to argue about the amount she'd been charged and I, you just think look this is a, a family member in effect you know your dog yes yeah it, it don't they deserve this and you know but we all have financial pressure and it's prioritizing and, and things like that so let's talk about cost um sarah how much is this going to cost people um, so the, the straightforward standard consultation with a veterinary surgeon is, is just £20 mm, um, through Joy. 
Uh, we are offering, um, or will be offering, not, not immediately, but in the next couple of months, referral consultations. Um, so with myself, um, we'll be able to offer dermatology consultations and also behavioural consultations. We've just taken on a, an animal behaviourist who, who will be able to offer behavioural consultations and, and they will be at a slightly increased rate um, because they're longer, they mm-hmm. take more time. So a, a standard 10 minute, 10 to 15 minute consultation is currently £20 and a mm-hmm. referral consultation will be around 45 to 50 for about half an hour to 45 minutes. Wow, so still reasonable though. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. probably saving at least, um, you know, half half the cost of a of a traditional consultation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's important that we do recognise there are times when you do need to ask, you know, the vet or a behaviourist. And I, I guess some, you know, most of us are quite reticent about going to a behaviourist because we think, oh, it'll clear up. It's okay. It's not a big problem. But again, if you can nip it in the bud early on and do something about it, take action, it's often earlier than letting that behaviour become, you know, ingrained in the, ingrained in the dog. So it is, it is important, isn't it, that we do, people do take advantage of this kind of service and and actually get that help whether they come through joy or whether they do go to their vet however they do it they do need to do these things don't they yeah fine i think i think telemedicine is um has advanced dramatically i mean we know that um in human for humans you know we're able to access if we want to um push doctor babylon health so there are lots of forums now available for people to access um doctors um from the from their smartphone or from their computer and there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing the same um, mm-hmm. uh, for animals and, and in, in veterinary medicine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, and another point then, because I remember speaking to the Animal Health Trust about um, cancer in this case, and yeah. it's quite difficult to get um, tissue samples, you know, after, if an animal unfortunately dies from the cancer, it's difficult to get um, tissue samples. And I know that's an important thing there, gathering um, data on that and sort of, and and how treatment has affected the progression of the disease or, you know, the success of the, the stopping of the disease. Yes. Um, that's really important. And that's something you're doing, isn't it? Um, yes. I mean, all the data that we're collecting, um, mm. we will be uh, analysing and, and it will all be used to, to train the AI, so the artificial intelligence. Yeah. And we, have a, we have a team of, of um, data scientists who will be, collecting and, and uh, analysing the data, which will allow us to be um, make a better job at predicting, um, as you say, responses to treatments and, and what pets in certain areas being fed certain diets will you know, be at risk of certain diseases. So we, um, it will just allow us in the future to um, be able to predict and pre- prevent um, mm-hmm. diseases from, from, from occurring. So we, we're very excited about, um, about the data that will that will be capturing, and, and and that's where the practice management comes in. It will be capturing gold standard data that's that's labelled in a certain way that will allow the AI to make um, to make predictions in the future, and, and actually be able to part automate the process of, of of a clinical examination. So the AI will will in itself, it's not it won't be allowed to make diagnoses, of course, but it can actually say, well, the chances of this disease being uh, having occurred in this particular patient is you know we're 88% sure that this it's this condition mm-hmm. um, so that will again drive down the cost and, and, and make it more accessible so yeah very yeah. excited about, about about the data and as far as we know we're in we're the only company in the world that are that, that will be collecting data in this way yeah yeah now it's marvelous moment for example um, my dog had um, 
arthritis and I was completely unaware because he covered it so well you know and he had slowed down a little bit and he he didn't want to jump into the back of the car and I I he made it to 15 and a half so you know when he got to about 13 I was thinking well really you know we need to stop um he was Labrador we need to stop this jumping in and out of the car anyway which had always yeah. been very controlled but we you know we didn't do that and he traveled in the footwell um but you know had perhaps with this kind of system, perhaps a warning might have flagged up that, you know, this is a likely thing. I just thought it was age and slowing down naturally. And, you know, again, if you have that warning of, oh, get the dog checked out, is it arthritis? And again, there are things you can do to make that dog's life much more comfortable and to lessen yeah. the impact. So it's really, really useful, isn't it, that data analysis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is what's critical, I think, mm. as as pet owners, you know, we it tends to be a desperation purchase. In other words, we we tend to go to the vet with our pet when there's a serious yes. problem. Mm. Um, but actually, what we're going to be doing is, um, you know, by by making pet care more more accessible um, to people, and and by um, uploading videos and what have you, we'll be able to the AI will be able to notice very very minor abnormalities within particular joints for example um just by looking at video footage and, and and being able to say well actually yes there's evidence here that there is an early stage osteoarthritis problem mm-hmm. that we can actually be more proactive about um about treating so yeah, that that that's a really exciting thing um we're actually working with um a professor at the university of leeds mm-hmm. who um is working on will be working on um assessing video footage of cats and dogs walking hmm. um, and, and be able to isolate uh, the particular lameness to a particular joint and be able to then be able to say, well, actually, yes, we think this is hip dysplasia or, or this is cruciate ligament disease or whatever. So hmm. it's uh, really exciting what we'll be able to gain from, from, from the data. And uh, the, the same with skin, skin disease. We, skin disease is beautifully aligned to remote consultation and telemedicine because it's a visual disease. Mm. Um, in most cases, it's it's not life threatening, but it tends to be a chronic, mm. lifelong condition. So, yeah. um, you know, we can make a big difference in uh, being able to look at patterns of you know body maps and distribution patterns, and and actually be able to to make strong recommendations via a telemedicine platform. We know that there are certain diseases that are certainly not appropriate for for telemedicine, and and the traditional veterinary practice will still play a huge, mm. important part. But Particularly in investigation, you know, we can't take blood samples remotely. We can't perform X-rays or dentals or lump removals or, or this sort of thing, surgeries. But um, but we can do the low risk. We can perform the low risk sort mm-hmm. of common um, uh, procedures uh, or in, um, consultations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to save so much time for both the, the owner and the, the vet. It's just it's going to save both so much time. And it's it's what your customers seem to want isn't it that you know and we've all had that that stood there wondering and going do i need to go to the vet with this do i do i not and so it's actually really nice rather than get that advice from you know facebook whatever to actually get authoritative advice isn't it which is what you can offer yes yeah and you know joy will also be able to provide um advice for for owners that have just obtained a you know a puppy for the first time for example Mm. so all the nurse clinics are free Mm. Um, and our nurses are, are, are able to provide advice on what flea control to use, what wormers to use, what diets that, that they can feed, how to reduce obesity problems, how to prevent dental disease occurring, 
um, you know, behavioural issues with regard to training and, mm. uh, and litter training cats and, and toilet training puppies and all these sorts of things are, are, are so well aligned for, for, for telemedicine. Um, yeah. And so the, the nurse clinics are, are also a really exciting part of, of, of what we're doing too. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds really, really wonderful. And lessening the stress for vets is really important, isn't it? Because, I mean, um, apparently vets, this is a horrific statistic, but vets are four times as likely to, to die by suicide compared to yes. the national UK average. That's horrific, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a very worrying statistic. And, um, yeah, we, we know that, um, that, that there is a lot of stress in, in the veterinary profession and vets are actually leaving the profession to, 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 to go and work in other areas um, mm. because of, of, of it's time pressure, it's um, long hours um, and, and actually relatively poor remuneration for the length of time that vets actually spend studying. They yeah. under yeah. a lot of pressure in practice and there's a national shortage of vets which has mm. been made worse by, by the fear of Brexit as well. Yes, um, yes. Hasn't everything. So, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> So absolutely, it's it's a really worrying problem, and we we also have have a, a very strong ambition to improve the work life balance of both vets and veterinary nurses. Mm-hmm. Mustn't forget veterinary nurses in this yes. because they, they are also under a lot of pressure mm-hmm. pressure in practice, working long hours and long shifts, and uh, and and certainly are poorly remunerated for for what they do and and the skills that they have. So we. We feel uh, very strongly that we want to improve the work-life balance of vets and nurses by allowing them to work more flexibly from home. Yes. Um, because, of course, what we, you know, they are working remotely, the vets and nurses we have working for us. Uh, in the majority of cases, they're working from home or they're working from a location of, of their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, they can even work uh, from abroad or yeah. um, we, have a, we have a vet that's working for us in Japan, mm-hmm. one in Hungary, one in Rome. Um, and uh, all they need is a laptop and a headset. Um, we provide them with a uniform and a backdrop so that we have, we have professional sort of standards with the platform that we use. Um, yeah. They get trained on the practice management system, and then they off they go. They wow. can um, work the hours and the shifts they want to from their own home, and it's particularly particularly um, beneficial for female vets, and uh, about 80% of vets now are, are women, mm. and, of course, women have families usually mm-hmm. and it can be more challenging for them to return to work um with with the cost of childcare and what have you so it's um it's also helpful for for uh, women with young families to be able to work from home yes in this way so yes we uh not only do we want to improve the lives of, of pets and pet owners but we also want to improve the lives of vets and, and vet nurses yeah it, it sounds so exciting and so positive, and it must be so exciting for you because I imagine you know we're just hearing about this. But um, for you, this has been sort of quite a long process, relatively. You know, to, to, from the inception, the idea of it to this is becoming reality now. It must be so exciting for you. Yes, I mean it has. It has been a, a project that's been um, been in the making for the best part of, of two and a half years, yeah. and uh, the app was launched in in may um so it is available now and uh, we're building on the algorithms all the time and um taking on more and more staff to uh to, to make it better um and yeah very very exciting um to, to be working on this project and we we really hope that it will it will um make a massive difference globally you know we we have 
we certainly don't at the moment. It's only available in the UK, but we um, we do have ambitions to um, to take this to well to, to start with English speaking companies countries abroad, so Australia, New Zealand, Canada, mm-hmm. um, and then and then further afield because uh, some of the uh, the Eastern European countries and, and particularly Australia, where access to veterinary care is um, even more of a challenge because of the distances people have to travel to their yes. nearest vet. Um, yeah. We're going to make a massive difference there because uh, people will be able to, as long as they have a smartphone, they'll be able to access advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I guess actually, I mean, you tell me, but I'm just thinking, you know, when you you have you you you've gone to the traditional vet and you've had the operation or the the treatment, whatever, and and you have to book a follow up. You know, for, particularly for people if if they're uh, Live, live somewhere a long way, you know, isolated, or if they have mobility issues of any kind or whatever, that checkup might be easier via this technology, mightn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're going, we're going to be working um, with one of the UK's largest animal charities to, to help provide their post-operative checks, for example. Mm. So owners will be um, given an opportunity to use the app for their post-op check. So let's yeah. say you've had a, a cat that's just been spayed, been neutered, um, rather than have to put the cat in the basket and get uh, several buses because a lot of people that are accessing cha- mm-hmm. you know, charitable veterinary care um, don't have transport. So instead of having to um, put the cat in the basket and, and access a, a traditional veterinary practice, they'll be, able, they'll be asked to upload an image of the uh, of the wound, you know, of the, of the spay wound. Yeah. Um, and then our veterinary nurses and, and, and our vets will be able to look at, look at that and be able to advise whether they're happy that the wound looks like it's healing nicely that the stitches are still intact, that there isn't any swelling or anything like this, and then, um, and if and if, there's a, if there are any concerns, they'll be then asked, obviously, to go into the practice. But if if we're happy that the wound looks like it's healing well, then we can just say absolutely, um, we'll check in with you in another week yeah. um, prior to the stitches being removed. So yes, absolutely for things like post-operative checks and repeat prescriptions. So. Mm-hmm. There are lots of pets that are on long-term medications for things like arthritis, as you've, you've had first experience of yes, that, and yeah. you know kidney disease and um, skin disease, where they're on anti anti itch medications, mm. that often require a repeat prescription. We can we can facilitate that as well, yeah. um, just by asking the, you know some routine questions, check that the pets are still okay. Mm. Um, then we can issue the prescription, um, you know that that way. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's just occurred to me as we were talking about my dog and, and um, his arthritis and, and other things. At a, at a time when, a time when this could come into its own even further, I'm thinking is, you know, when you have to make that awful decision about your dog or, or whatever animal you've got, that yes, okay, it's time to euthanize them. That yeah. that is such a difficult decision, and. You really need support then, and sort of you you want that you want to talk to your vet then, and sort of say, look, what do you think? And you know, to have for them to have that distance to be able to look at your dog and say, no, look, they are really really miserable now, or no, it's okay, you're not making this decision for yourself. You are making this decision for the dog, and today isn't the day. It's really going to be so reassuring and helpful then, isn't it? Yes, I mean, the, uh, absolutely, that is end-of-life care mm. and, um, and and the geriatric patient, which is where our, our nurses will come in as well to, 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 to talk things through. Sometimes, yes. sometimes pet owners just want, you know, a friendly ear and, yes. and, and some reassuring advice that they're, they're doing the right thing mm. um, or what they should be doing, you know, having advice, as you say, on yeah. on um, on quality of life issues when, yes. it, when it comes to that rather than having to... Uh, Take an elderly dog who who 
maybe uncomfortable to, to a, a, a veterinary practice to, to have some advice online and, and be able to see the, the owner and see the dog in it, you know, in its bed or in its in its own home. Um, yeah, yeah will, will be hugely beneficial. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll end on a happier note, and we'll, we'll we'll just revisit the puppy thing because that's another time. I, I can remember I waited to have my own puppy for years and years and years, and then after about ten days, I was like, "Oh my goodness, you know what have I done? I've wished this on myself." And I think that's another time when just to, to phone and say, "Is this normal? Is this should this be happening? Should my dog be doing this?" You know, it's going to be invaluable then, isn't it, for lots of people? Yeah. Yeah, new, new kittens, new puppies, um, people that have just, t- you know, taken on a pet for the very first time and yes. just want some reassuring advice. And, um, we'll, we'll be offering, um, sort of puppy classes, uh, mm. uh online as well so that yeah. we can advise about training and behavior. And, um, I think, I think definitely that, that will, will appeal to many people. They'll be able to access it at times of day that are, are, are more suitable for them. Yeah. More convenient, um, and uh, we'll we'll be able to sort of create video, animated fun videos for them to watch and, yes. and learn about about uh, what what to expect at certain times in in their pet's life. So um, that's all part of the long term plan. So we're 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 working hard to to make sure this is all all going to be available very soon. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds really really good. Where can people find out more about about um, Joy online? So we we do have a have a, a website www.joypetcare.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a very interactive website. There's a lot of information on there, and, the, and then um, it will point the uh, interested party to the um, App Store or Google Play Store, where they will be able to just type in Joy J O I, and it will come up, and they can they can download the app free of free of charge and and uh, and start using it straight away. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, we've talked a lot about uh, Joy and, and Vet AI as well, which is the, the, the company, isn't it? What is there anything that we haven't covered that you really want to say about um, Joy? Well, just to say, you know, let's get the word out there and get people people using the app and feeding back to us. And you know, we we want to to we want to respond to pet pet owners' needs essentially. And if there's anything that we're we're not doing that pet owners would like us to do, please let us know. Um, you can feedback. Um, uh, you know, on on the app store, and uh, and let us know what what you think we're doing really well, and what you'd like us to do better. Um, but ultimately, yeah, absolutely, we just want to spread the word and uh, get people using get people using the app. Yeah, and Brilliant. accessing accessing our. We've got some really talented vets and nurses working for us who are who are who are there at the moment from eight a.m. to ten p.m. That's when uh, all the consultations are available. Um, but we are planning to uh, to provide twenty four hour. Uh, cover from a bit later on in the year. Hopefully, Joy will help a lot more dogs get the veterinary care they need and put owners' minds at rest. And I hope technology eases the workload on vets too. I think there's a lot of important information in that interview and I'm very happy to share it. You can find the link to the Joy Pet Care website on the Dogcast Radio site. That's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together. I love getting feedback, so let me know what you thought about today's interviews, news stories, or maybe if there's a doggy subject close to your heart you'd like us to cover. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. 
radio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcast radio. That's all one word, dogcast radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you get when your house is infested with dogs? Bed pugs.